So uh, the average person, I don't know how they figure this out, the average person worries two hours and 28 minutes a day, or 900 hours a year. Wow. 85% of what we worry about never happens. I've shared that with you before. What I discovered this past week is the 15% that does happen, okay, 98, uh, 90, uh, 79% of subjects discovered that they were able to handle the difficulty better than they thought they could, or it taught them a lesson that was worth learning. I thought that was interesting. 18% of Americans have anxiety disorders, and last year, Americans spent $2 billion, that's with a B, $2 billion on anti-anxiety medications. 84% of us uh, admit to have lost sleep because of worry, and 45% of us uh, studied admitted that worry has directly affected our health. And last statistic, a recent world survey uh, recently has ranked the United States of America as the number one most anxious country in the entire world above Lebanon, Ukraine, and Japan. Would you agree that worry and anxiety is very stressful? Right? Just me mentioning all these statistics, you're like, yeah, I'm stressed. Just mention, listening to that. We are continuing our series called Stressed Out, and we are talking about kind of how worry and anxiety wears on us and tears on us and what it does to us. And we're going to try and figure out what, how to handle it, but we're going to start with an exercise. Everybody had a piece of paper when you grabbed it when, on your seat. Everybody grab your piece of paper. Okay, if you have a pen, here's what I need you to do. On that piece of paper, as best as you can, I want you to write down the one or the two or the 12 things that worry of you. Okay, so go ahead, write those down. You can either just write the initials of them or whatever it is that worries you, crying kids or whatever that worry you. Write that down. Share a pen. Share a pen. Write those things down and then just put that to side. If you need some suggestions on things that worry us, here's the top 20, top 25 things that worry us. Crime and terrorism worry us, especially after 9-11. That went to the list. Safety in general worries us. Our appearance, missing a plane. Our health worries us. Our relative's health or our pet's health worry us. And I, I was going through this list, and I'm like, you're right, my, my dog has this big kind of fat leg tumor thing, and I'm all worried about him, poor guy. He's trying to figure out what to do, how to walk. Being late worries us. Job security worries us. Getting old worries us. Looking old worries us. Apparently those are two different things, right? Anything to do with finances can produce worry, right? Uh, finding a spouse and getting married worries us. Not waking up to our alarm worries us. Our future worries us. Being unhappy worries us. Our kids, diet, and traffic worries us. Things outside our control worry us. Whether or not the person still loves us worries us. And this is fascinating. The number one thing people worry about the most is being attacked and killed by neighborhood cats. There you have, oh no, that was my worries. That is my number one worry. Um, so uh, magazines are talking about this left and right. Everybody's talking about worry. So psychology today, every so often, is going to have a main issue on worry and anxiety. Time magazine, every so often, once a year, will have something on worry <coughs> or anxiety. In fact, the most recent Time magazine on the subject dealt with adolescent worry and anxiety. And one of the things that they have analyzed is that the the generation 18 and younger right now, the younger generation, is the most anxious generation of Americans ever to have lived. In terms of how they deal with worry, how they deal with stress and anxiety, uh, apparently the young generation isn't too confident about what's coming ahead. And then I discovered there's actually a magazine called the Anxiety Magazine. That just stressed me out and made me worry, just weren't worrying about that, right? Has all kinds of articles on well, things I should be worrying about, right? The Anxiety Magazine. So anyway, hopefully you've written your two, three things. Just put that off to the side. We're going to come back to that in a minute. I don't want to talk to you about what pop culture and magazines have to say about worry. I want to talk to you about what God has to say about worry. What do I do about my worry? How do I handle my anxiety? What does it say? And whenever this topic comes up, invariably, there's two verses that are mentioned in Scripture, or normally both of them, or one of them comes up. One of them is in the book of Philippians. One of them is in, in the book of Matthew. Paul says in Philippians, don't be anxious about anything. Now, as I read that, that sounds like 100%. That sounds like there's no wiggle room. There's no asterisk that says when I'm allowed to worry or certain things I'm allowed to. No, don't be anxious about anything. If you do, you're out of bounds. Then Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon he ever preaches, one of the fascinating things in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about prayer. He talks about heaven and hell. 
He talks about the cost of discipleship and following him and carrying your cross. Did you know that the largest section, one of the largest section in the Sermon on the Mount is on worry? It doesn't sound that spiritual. It doesn't sound as spiritual as prayer, does it? But apparently Jesus knows you and he knows me. And he knows that what produces stress within me and what worries me and creates anxiety is something he wants to address to help me, to help you. He says, I don't, I don't want you to worry. Now, have you ever found yourself in a situation? So whatever you wrote on your list or whatever typically worries you, the kids or finances or your job or the health or whatever it is, have you ever found yourself worrying about those things, anxious about those things? And then a well-intentioned pastor or a well-intentioned Christian, they mention these verses and they say, you know, as a Christian, you really shouldn't worry. In fact, worry is probably sinful, right? Have you ever had that happen to you and now you're worrying about your worry, right? I'm worried that I'm worrying, and then now I'm, now I'm upsetting God. Now I feel guilty that I'm worrying. It's like I feel like that little hamster, on, and I'm making things worse, right? And what I want to say to you this morning is not so quick. More than anything else this morning, I want you, I want us to have a more nuanced, refined view of what God has to say about our emotions and what you and I will refer to as worry or anxiety. I think part of it is our vocabulary. What I want to show you is there's a lot more to be said about the things that stress me out emotionally. And some of them I want to point out to you may be acceptable in God's eyes. I'm going to show you right from the book of Philippians how there's two variant verses. One is Philippians chapter 4, but now look at Philippians chapter 2. It's on the screen. Paul says, therefore, I'm all the more eager to send Epaphroditus back to you. Now, Epaphroditus was part of the church of Philippi. The church at Philippi had taken an offering. And so they can't, you know, you know, mail it or send it, you know, wire it to Paul. So they have to have someone carry it. So they pick Epaphroditus and he goes from Philippi and he takes it all the way to Rome to deliver it to Paul and finance his ministry. While he's in Rome, he hangs out with Paul. He also happens to get sick, really sick, almost to the point of death. And the people back in Philippi are all worried about their buddy Epaphroditus, right? And then Paul says this, I can't wait to send Epaphroditus back to you so that when you have seen him again, you may be glad, wait for it, here it comes, and I may have less anxiety. Time out. I thought in chapter 4 he had just said we're not allowed to be anxious, I thought he just suggested if you're anxious or worry, you're out of bounds in God's eyes. But in chapter 2, he freely admits that there were some things that worried him, some things that he had anxiety about. See, right away what that should tell you is that chapter 4, verse 6 is not as clear and cut as some people make it out to be. What it's suggesting is that there is some worry, chapter 4, that is inappropriate. And there is some worry and anxiety, chapter 2, verse 28, like when a buddy is deathly sick, that some of those concerns, some of those emotions are very legitimate. Does that make sense? More than anything else this morning, I want you to have a clear understanding is when your concern is out of bounds or when it's acceptable in God's eyes. To do that, I'm going to start out by giving you the four general views of anxiety. You want to jot them down. The first one is what I'm going to refer to as beneficial anxiety. You go, beneficial anxiety? Yeah, let's go through it. Look at your study guide. If you bump into a wild animal out in the woods, if you have a huge upcoming final exam, and how you do on the exam determines whether you pass the class or not. If you have a big work project, and that work project, how you do determines if you get a promotion or a big bonus. Maybe you wake up in the middle of the night and you can hear someone's trying to break into your house. Maybe you're on the highway, you're driving, and the person right in front of you has a blowout and their car is swerving this way or that way. Any one of those situations, questions, does that make you a little anxious? Yeah, there's right inside of you something happens quickly. It's an automatic response to the situation. Now, anxiety, stress that comes from anxiety can be beneficial if in any one of those situations, see what it says here, it results in positive construction action. So let's talk about the exam. If, if instead of showing up unprepared, what that anxiety should do is force you to study, right? If there's an upcoming, uh, if there's a wild animal out in, the, out, out in the woods, the positive anxiety should cause you to run, leave as quickly as you can. The big work project should cause you to put in 60, 65 hours that week to get it done. If you hear someone breaking in the house, that should cause you to have Sandy go downstairs and check on it and figure out what's going on. 
or call 911. What I'm saying is that there's some positive anxiety, and if it produces good results, that's beneficial. That's that whole Time magazine, why anxiety can be good for you. Some of it is very good for you because it produces positive action. The second one, I'm going to call clinical anxiety. Some people will call it different things, but this is the result of chemical imbalance or physiological malfunction that results in panic or anxiety disorders. So just like physical illnesses are serious and require treatment, likewise, there are some mental illnesses that are just as serious and also require treatment. I can't figure out whether there are some Christians, some pastors, and some churches that refuse to acknowledge this. And their answer, even to clinical anxiety, is all you need is Jesus. Now, I don't want to be flippant about that, but yeah, obviously, I kind of believe you need Jesus too, but I also understand that sometimes chemically what's going on inside of me is I need some extra help, and I need to go to a therapist or a doctor, and sometimes a, a pill can help me. I don't, I don't think by me saying that, I'm, I'm counteracting what this book says in, in any way. I think I'm complimenting it. Now, having said that, let me also say as your pastor, be careful and be cautious. On the screen, uh, I, I just have for you, it's a very interesting article called Listening to Xanax. If you don't know what Xanax is, it's one of the medications that sometimes people take for anxiety disorders. This is written in the New York Magazine, and reporter Lisa Miller, not a Christian, not a Christian, says this, says, hey, anxiety is real and serious, and depression is real and serious. And then she adds this, however, many Americans have chosen to pop a Xanax for low-grade anxiety. Not clinical anxiety, just low-grade anxiety. She puts that in quotation marks. Instead of learning how to cope with everyday, normal, worry-producing issues, popping a pill should not be your first option, she says. I couldn't agree more. So I, I as your pastor, I'm going to say, hey, it's real. It's for some of us, it's necessary. However, I think we're going to look back on our generation, and there's many of us that jump to this as our solution too quickly. That's all I'm saying. I think you should find out if there are other worry coping skills. And yeah, if there's nothing else works, use that as your last resort. The third thing I want to talk to you about is consequential anxiety. What is consequential anxiety? Again, I've given you the definition in your study guide. This is when you and I do something sinful. Now, yeah. uh, I, I cheat on my taxes. I cheat on that big exam. I cheat on my spouse. When I do that, when you and I do that, it's going to produce a natural emotional response. Oh my goodness, I hope the IRS doesn't catch me. Oh my goodness, I hope the professor doesn't catch me. Oh my goodness, I hope my spouse doesn't catch me. And there's a natural anxiety that is produced when you and I sin. When we do something stupid, like gamble away my rent money, call, call my boss a bleeping fool because of something they did, drive too fast and carelessly, on and on you're going to have a natural anxiety and an emotional response to something immature that you did or that I did. And so here's the point. Sometimes consequential anxiety is nothing more than my own fault, your own fault. In fact, some people would take it one step further. Theologians that look at sinful consequences that we have or consequential, they're going to say that what your experience is is not anxiety at all. It's called conviction. It's called conviction. See, God builds within you a conscience, a conscience that regardless of whether you know and ever understand everything in this book, he has this conscience within you. So when you step outside of God's will, there's something within you where the Holy Spirit goes, really? Really, that's what you're going to do? It's called conviction. It's not anxiety. It's the Holy Spirit trying to get you back on course. Now, if you continue to sear your conscience, sear your conscience, sear your conscience, eventually you can't hear it anymore. Now, you've got beneficial, clinical, consequential anxiety. The one that I want to focus with you this morning the most is sinful anxiety. This is an unbiblical response uh, to life's situations. This is when I lean into the problem instead of leaning into God, and I allow my problem, my issue, or my question to consume me mentally and emotionally. And some of us, all of us at some point in time has been, have been there. On the screen, I've also tried to break down for you how sin interacts with these different anxieties. The first one, beneficial anxiety, it, sin is not involved at all. It's actually helpful. Clinical is the impact of sin on the world, including my body and our bodies. 
It affects it, right? Consequential is the result of sinful, stupid act. But sinful anxiety, there's no way to cut it other than to say that you and I are actively disobeying God. Actively. One of the things that bothers me the most as a pastor is this anxiety and worry seems to be one of the acceptable sins within the Christian community. We will sit in small group and we'll all go around and share prayer requests. And there will always be someone that all you got to do is listen to them. And the biggest issue they have is not the issues they're sharing. It's the way the perspective on the issues they're talking about. None of us call it out. We just kind of accept it. Yeah, brother, we're going to pray for you. It's a problem. We are actively stepping outside of God's will. Now, what I like I told you, the biggest benefit that I could help you is to clearly distinguish when is anxiety unacceptable in God's eyes and when is it acceptable? When is it Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything because you're doing it in the wrong way, or when is it Philippians chapter 2, Paul saying, I'm anxious for my buddy Epaphroditus, he almost died. Sometimes acceptable, sometimes not acceptable. I'm going to try and break it down for you. I have a graph for you that I want you to look at in your study guide. We're going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to walk through it. You see at the top, acceptable anxiety, unacceptable anxiety. Maybe the better way to say it is acceptable anxiety lets you and I choose to just call it concern. I think sometimes it's our vocabulary. Unacceptable anxiety lets you and I call it worry. Okay, just for the sake of discussion, it makes it easier. So let me go through that with you. Uh, First of all, acceptable anxiety is when we analyze and think about a problem. We analyze it. So if you have a financial issue that's creating angst, stress, anxiety, how do you analyze your financial problem? You take out a calculator and you calculate it all out and you take a checkbook and you sit down with a financial advisor, someone who's really good at numbers, and you analyze the finances. How much am I spending on movies? How much am I spending on eating out? How much am I spending on clothes? And you just try and analyze it unacceptable anxiety is when you amplify and obsess about the problem. You obsess about it, and you know how it is. It just goes around and around and around and around, and we're like that little hamster on the wheel. Nothing happens. Just going around and around on the same issue. There's no new information coming in. The second one, acceptable concern. Remember, that's the word we're going to try and use. It's debilitating. If you have a a physical issue, if you have one of your kids that there's a problem, If there's a career or job issue, look at me. It's normal to have an emotional response. It's debilitating. It affects you. It's okay. God made you with emotions. However, unacceptable worry and anxiety is destructive. It is destructive. Some have said that worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. It sucks the energy right out of you, doesn't it? Could I add, maybe you don't realize it, when you and I worry, when we are anxious in a way that God chooses not to want us have us respond to issues and problems, not only does it sap the energy out of you, it saps the energy out of everyone around you. If you, I were to ask you, well, what kind of people do you like to hang out with? Who are your friends? None of us would say, oh, I love hanging out with warriors. <laughs> you, we would none of us say that. Do you realize that maybe that's some of the reason that some people get quiet around us? It's the way we're analyzing and even seeing our own issues. Uh, Acceptable concern or anxiety is when you focus on God's role in your problem. What's God trying to do in my life because of this issue? How is God trying to develop me? You're asking God questions about your issue and your problem. Unacceptable anxiety or worry is when you focus on worst case scenarios. You ever done that? My wife, it's funny, she thinks that my dog... A little beagle dog, Chavi, he has uh, separation anxiety, she says. And she especially talks about, have you ever had your dog, it's vacation time, you pull out the suitcases, right? What does your dog do, right? My dog's like, what are you guys doing? Where are you guys going? What's going on? Oh my goodness, they're leaving. They're taking me to the pound and I'm coming back. I can see it in his eyes. Not only does he get sad, eventually he gets mad. When we're gone, he breaks things. He chews on things. He is not happy with us, right? Some of us just like that. We are just making up fantasy, imagining worst case scenarios in our mind. And you have no business doing that. You have actually aggravated your problem. The next one, acceptable concern, is when you choose to control it. See, the the flaw is some of us actually don't think we can control it. I'm here to say you can. 
You can, and you need to. You need to fight it. Some of us let it consume us. The last one on this, this screen, then we'll go to the next one, is that acceptable concern is based on truth, facts, and accurate information. Let me give you a scenario. You go to the doctor. They take blood work. You come back two weeks later, and they say to you, you know what? The blood test came back, and it's not good. You've got an illness. It's a very serious illness, and the, prog- and the prognosis is not good. Now, is it acceptable for you to leave the doctor's office skipping? No. You know what's reasonable? For it to impact you emotionally. That's not doesn't feel good when you or a, a loved one has an illness, right? But it's based upon fact. The blood work came back, and this is what they told me. Now, same situation, right? But now, other side of the screen. Unacceptable worry is based on conjecture. You know what conjecture is? It's half-truth. You don't have all the truth yet. So the doctor says, we're going to do some blood tests. We're not sure if it's this, that, or the other. But in between the blood work and the results, you're worrying. You're imagining. It's based on conjecture, falsehood, and inaccurate information. That is unacceptable. Does that make sense? Same situation. One is based on fact. One is based on half fact. You don't know everything yet. And to start imagining worst case scenarios is not helpful. Makes it worse. Let's put the next next slide up there. Um, Acceptable concern is when you lean into God and talk to Jesus. Unacceptable worry is when you lean into the problem and talk to yourself. You ever talk to yourself about your problems? Isn't it weird when someone catches you talking to yourself about your problems? That's really awkward, right? Guys, uh, Corey Temboom used to ask this question. Is prayer the steering wheel in your life or is it the spare tire in your life? That's thought-provoking. Is it something that, that, I, that I allow to guide me in life? It's my steering wheel. Or prayer, is it something that I just go to when I have a flat tire, when I have an emergency? You see, your commitment to prayer tells me just that. Are you on the left side of the screen or the right side of the screen? Does that make sense? The next one is acceptable anxiety is when you share it with others. Maybe you don't share it on Facebook, but you share it with a couple, two, three other people, right? Unacceptable anxiety is when you keep it to yourself. I don't know why some of us keep our big problems to ourselves. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's a combination. I don't know. I don't really care. All I'm saying is I know what this book says. It says help carry each other's burdens. See, I can't carry your burden unless I know what your burden is. It is unbiblical for you to keep it to yourself. You gotta, so if you're not sharing with anybody, you're on the right side of the screen. There's no way around it. Acceptable concern is eventually fades. And when I say it fades, I don't mean it, it goes away. I'm saying it comes and goes. It's not, with, it's not at the forefront of your mind. You know, maybe, maybe you wake up and you're a little concerned about your kid or the finances or whatever, but then you go to work and for like eight to 10 hours, you're not really thinking about it, right? Left side of the screen. Unacceptable anxiety, it's always there, always at the forefront of your mind. It, it, you can't get away from it. Right side of the screen, uh, left side of the screen, acceptable. Right side of the screen, unacceptable. Acceptable concern is that it is faith-centered. Unacceptable, it is self-centered. I don't, ha- I don't like putting you on the spot, but my job is to challenge you. It would be interesting for you to be open and honest. Whatever you wrote on your little sheet of worries, concerns, and stresses, and anxieties, how much of it is about you, and how much of it is about gospel, God, church, and his kingdom? The reality is so much of that what is anxious-producing and worry-producing to us is so much about me and my finances and my life and my kids. And God isn't saying that there's, you don't have a legitimate reason to be concerned about that. But at some point in time, we're going to see it in a minute, there is a faith connection point to my emotions. Very simply, hopefully you've been able to figure it out by now, that the left side of the screen, acceptable concern or anxiety is understandable. It's normal. Some of you right now, you have issues going on in life that they're big and they're heavy. And it's normal to experience a reasonable level of concern and anxiety. You are not sinning by doing that. Does that make sense? On the other hand, 
Some of us are taking an issue and a problem, and we're actually making it worse by what we're allowing it to do to us emotionally. It's out of bounds. The Apostle Paul, people say that the Apostle Paul is talking about these two different types of anxiety in 2 Corinthians. Let's put it up on the screen. I'm going to read it for you. I want you to notice the back and the forth, the acceptable concern and anxiety, the unacceptable anxiety and worry. Back and forth. Look it. We're pressed and stressed on every side. That's life. Welcome to life. Life is difficult and stressful, and it squeezes in on you. Normal. Now watch. But you're not crushed. You're not crushed. Acceptable, first part of the verse. Unacceptable, second part of the verse. Goes on. We're perplexed. You got an issue. You got a question. I don't know if they'll go this way or that way. I'm perplexed, but I'm not driven to despair. Do you see the differences? One is normal. One is acceptable. One is part of God creating you with emotions, and the other one is out of bounds. Despair, that's what we're going to do. He died on the cross for our sins and gave us the Holy Spirit. You have no place and business being in, quote, despair. We're hunted down. That doesn't sound positive. Sounds like one of those scary movies. I'm being hunted down, normal, acceptable, but not abandoned by God. And then he ends up, we get knocked down. Why? Because sometimes life gives you an uppercut. And when life gives you an uppercut, sometimes you get knocked down. But you're not destroyed. Do you see the back and forth? Do you see it there? Now, this is not in your notes, but some of you need to write this down. Let's put it on the screen. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable. Do do you get that? There are things that are going to happen in your life and are happening right now that are stressful. They produce what some people would call anxiety. Let's call it concern. I'm concerned. I'm concerned about my job. I'm concerned about the doctor. I'm concerned about my kid. I got the, I'm concerned. And if you stay on the left side of, of the column and the chart, and, and you're leaning into God, and you're relaying on Him on prayer, and you're sharing with other key Christians, right? And you're analyzing the situation rationally and biblically. Don't guilt yourself for having some concern. It's okay. Presence of anxiety is unavoidable. The prison of anxiety is option. If you are on the right side of the chart and you are making the problem worse by imagining in fantasy land worst case scenarios and you're, you're talking to yourself but you're not talking to others or God, right? It, it's, un, it, it's not good. It's not helpful. It's not biblical. So you've, you've got to understand that you really do have a place to try and control your, your emotions and your stress and your anxiety. There's interesting, a lot of different things uh, that we do to handle worry. Uh, I, I, I taught on this four years ago. It hasn't changed. W- well, one thing has changed. I'll point it out to you when I read it. What do we do? How do we handle stress and worry? We listen to music. We exercise. We watch TV and movies. We sleep. We eat. We pray and go to church. We drink alcohol. We shop. We smoke. And the biggest change in the last 10 years is we go to our phones. Go to our phones, right? It's interesting that a lot of us, we internet or phones or whatever, we, we use this to quiet the stress and the worry. But you know what's interesting about this? It's one of the few things that we use to deal with our stress. It's also one of the few things that causes stress. How, how, do, you, how do you respond when you can't find your phone? Oh, where's my phone? Where, oh, my goodness. People trying to get a hold of me. I don't know where. Drives you crazy, doesn't it? You can't do anything else. Some of you left your phone in your car. You haven't even been listening to me last 20 minutes. <laughs> right? But this sucker, the barrage of information that we get from this, the texts and the emails and the updates, in and of itself, it is producing anxiety and stress and worry in your life. I'm not here preaching against cell phones. I'm just saying, have the wisdom to know that every once in a while, you've got to turn that sucker off and put it down. Every once in a while, someone will say, Pastor, I was trying to get a hold of you for the last three hours. I couldn't get a hold of you. Why was it? Turn my phone off. I'm not that important. Call someone else. You know, figure it out. Matthew chapter 6. That's what we're going to focus and spend the last 15 minutes on. What does Jesus say about how should I deal with my stress? I'm going to put the verses for you up on the screen, but if you want to follow along. Notice how many verses he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. 
what you will eat, what, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? It's the whole futility of worry. It doesn't get you anywhere. Verse 28, why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? Do they, they, they don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into fire, will he not so much more clothe you, you of little faith? Don't, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you. Verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me give you three practical things you can do. Hopefully just the chart has helped you. But number one, you need to change your priorities. You need to change your priorities. Now, I want to point something out to you. He, he says, you know, isn't life more than food? Isn't life more than clothes? Why are you worrying about those things? Now, let me just identify what he's doing. I would understand if Jesus said, why are you guys worrying about your jet ski? Why are you worrying about your third car? Why are you worrying about your vacation house that you have and wherever? Why are you worrying about your flat screen TV? Now, I'm giving you what I would perceive to be luxuries. They're not necessities to life. If he said that, if he gave me that as a list, I would go, yeah, why am I worrying about that? But he doesn't do that. He picks necessities. He says, why are you worrying about food and clothes? I, I can't think of anything else kind of more important. Can you? Maybe shelter? I mean, that's the top three, right? If there's anything I'm going to worry about, it's I want to eat at least twice a day. And I, I kind of I want to be able to wear pants to church. We encourage that, right? <laughs> he's picking necessities. I would understand luxuries, but he's picking necessities. And even necessities, he says, okay, you and me, focus on me, he says. Isn't, life more, isn't there something more important than food? Isn't there something more important than clothes or than, than housing? And the way it is asked in the Greek language requires and necessitates a yes answer. There is something more important than food. There is something more important than shelter and clothes. And it's the kingdom of God. It's fascinating. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We, ha we put that on bumper stickers and Christians put it on books and seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put God number one. What's fascinating to me is that that verse comes in this big section and in the context of worry. That's Jesus' answer for how you and I are to deal with worry. It's not trying to convince you to go be a missionary in Africa. It's trying to help you learn how to deal with worry. You want to learn how to deal with worry? I'm not saying that food doesn't matter or shelter doesn't matter or your kids or your... I'm not saying none of that matters. I'm saying even in that context, there's something that matters more and it's called Jesus and his kingdom. I'm trying to teach you about worry, says Jesus. You need to shift your priorities. Oh no, I know you need to eat. I get that. Back in the middle, medieval ages, they um, map make, map makers... They would draw these maps by hand, and, you know, they, they were just discovering the world. They didn't know everything that was out there, and it's very interesting. You can Google it. Medieval map, just watch. Almost always in one of the corners or at the bottom in the sea, they would draw a picture of a dragon. And then in Latin, they would write a phrase that essentially was meant to communicate, hey, we've drawn as much as we know, but beyond the map, we don't know what's out there. Dragon, we don't think it's good. We think there's problems out there. And it's very interesting, the transition. They kept the dragon on the map. They added another image. On the different corner, they put an image of Jesus. And the message that was being sent was this. As you walk out those doors, there's going to be some dragons. There's going to be some problems. Don't you ever forget that also, not only are there dragons out there, 
Jesus is out there. He's still in control. He's still got you. Shift your priorities. Quit focusing on the dragon. Start focusing on Jesus. Change your priority. Second of all, you need to change your theology. For so many of us, we think that worry is an emotional issue. And what I'm trying to help you understand for a moment is that it is much a theological and a doctrinal issue. Doesn't he care for the birds, he asks Jesus? Doesn't God help the flowers grow? In other words, they, the birds don't have refrigerators. They don't have a pantry where they store their food, but God seems to feed them. And if he takes care of them, don't you think he's going to take care of you? And then he adds the part none of us like. You see, the issue with so many of us when it comes to our worry and anxiety is all about our faith. Don't get upset at me. If you want to get upset, get upset at him. He said it. You have little faith. You see, ultimately, for some of us, our worry at the core declares God to be untrustworthy, unloving, and unaware of my problems. Oh no, I know you're here, and you're here because you love Jesus, you believe in God. But the way you are allowing your emotions to control you says something about your theology and about who you think God is that is inaccurate. You are actually saying in how you are allowing your emotions to control you, he doesn't really care about me. He doesn't even know what's going on in my life, which I can sort of understand. He's got a world to run. Why does he care about my little worries that I wrote on my sheet of paper? And ultimately, you know, I actually don't even know if he cares about me that much. That's ultimately what some of us are saying. And see, here's the thing. I know you. I know you don't believe that, but you're allowing that inaccurate, flawed theology to influence you emotionally. That's the issue. I came across this devotional. I, I, I can't say it any better than this guy. It's very short, but it was on worry. He's talking about his garden. He says this, in some, apart, some parts of my lawn, the grass is thick, it's green, but in other areas, it's sparse and it's dry. There are even a few places where the grass is missing entirely. When I mow the lawn, I notice that where the grass is healthy, there are no weeds. Where the lawn is sparse, there are a few weeds. Where there is no grass, the weeds flourish. Every time I notice the weedy spots, I think I really need to pull them. So I do. But within a few weeks, they're back and I'm pulling them again. And then one day it hit me. I don't have to pull weeds where the grass is thick. Instead of spending my time pulling weeds, maybe I need to invest time making the grass as healthy as possible. The more grass I have, the fewer weeds I have to pull. And the same applies to worry. Worry is like the weeds. God is like the grass. Instead of just focusing on eliminating my worries, maybe I should cultivate my relationship, knowledge, and trust of God. You see, some of us keep focusing on the problem, the issue, and the question. And what I'm asking you to do is start focusing on your God and change your theology about who he is. Oh, you still got the problem, but it's amazing. The perspective completely different. Last thing I need to encourage you to do. So change your, um, change your priorities, change your theology. Third is change your thinking. Jesus says in verse 32, he says, Pagans run after, worry about, and are consumed with all these things that produce stress and anxiety and worry. I don't want you to be consumed with them. I'm not saying they don't matter, but don't be controlled by them, right? Don't be controlled by them. Let me show you this. Next. This is not in your study guide, but you need to get this. Whether you write it down or not, let's put it on the screen. When you are unreasonably thinking about something, it's not rational. It's not reasonable. When it is unbiblical what you are thinking, when it is untrue what you are thinking, anytime your thought is, process is flawed, it always, every single time results in either unnecessary worry or ungodly actions or both. Let me show you how flawed thinking invariably always leads to worry, anxiety, or actions you shouldn't do. Let me give you a scenario. It's a pretend scenario. It's a ridiculous scenario, but I'm going to prove my point. 
I come to you and I say, my daughter just graduated from university. We're going to throw her a big party. We're going to have it at the house. It's a surprise party. We're going to cater the food. We're going to have a mariachi band come in. We're going to have balloons everywhere. It's going to be awesome. But it's a surprise party. Don't tell anybody. You bump into me the week of the party, right? And, and, and you say to me, how's it coming? You know, she doesn't know yet. No, she doesn't know yet. And I, hey, well, the plan's coming good. And I go, well, the plans are coming, but I'm, I'm stressed. I'm worried and I'm anxious. In fact, I think we're going to have to cancel the party. And you go, why? Why, are you, why do you think you're going to have to cancel the party? Why are you so anxious? And I say to you, the weather. I think it might snow this weekend. I think we might have five inches of snow, and I'm going to have to cancel the party. Now, if I said that to you, what would you say to me? You moron. What Kathy said was much kinder. That's unreasonable. But when's the last time it snowed in the Bay Area in June? When's the last time we had one inch? And I'm concerned and worried about five inches? Unreasonable, isn't it? But my worry and anxiety was based upon what? Unreasonable thinking. That's what it was based upon. And when my thinking is flawed, it always eventually leads to unnecessary worry or ungodly action. You see, it's like a formula in the Bible. It's like a, literally a math formula. Some of us, if you are flawed in your thinking, we don't even have to talk. I guarantee you at some point in time, what's highlighted in yellow is going to happen to you. That's why the enemy works so hard to get you to believe things that are not true. That's his entire strategy with some of us. Because if our thinking is flawed, he's got us. Let me tell you what to do about it real quick. Three things. Number one is control your thoughts. Some of us actually don't think we can do that. And that's the lie. That's the lie. Second Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, I want you to demolish arguments. So there's a thought. And I want you to take a sledgehammer to it and just demolish it, smash it to pieces. Why? Because it's not true. It's not right. It's not reasonable to have five inches of snow in June. Don't believe that. I want you to take captive every thought. That is a military term. It is a police force term. So if I'm a police officer and I see someone that I think has done something illegal, I'll arrest them, then I'll take them into the police station, I interrogate them. If I find evidence against them, then I put them in prison and I don't let them influence society. And Paul says you do the same thing with thoughts. Identify a thought and go, I don't know if that thought is correct. Pull that thought in, interrogate it, and if you find evidence to the fact that it's not reasonable, rational, or biblical, you put it in prison and you don't let it have control or influence on your life. It's the exact same thing. Now, when I say control your thoughts, I don't mean that some of them will go away. They might still be right here. What I'm saying is you don't let them control and influence your life. So if I were to say to you right now, this is a little psychological trick. Watch, here it comes. Ready? Do not, under any circumstances, think about a yellow penguin. Don't think about it. Do not think about a yellow penguin. Don't do it. What are you doing right now? You're thinking about that yellow penguin I'm telling you not to think about. And so what happens is the enemy does the same thing. And you keep thinking about the yellow penguin. And what I'm saying is that the yellow penguin may be there, but you still keep it in prison. You take it captive, and you don't allow it to influence and control your actions and your, your emotions. It's a practice and learned behavior. Second thing, okay? Second thing is change your thoughts. So now it's not just the yellow penguin. Now you've got to change how you think. Okay, change how you think. Let's put the next verse up there. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. I'm assuming that's why you're here. You want to take your next step closer to Jesus. That's why you're here, right? How is he going to do that? How does he change you? How does he make you more like Jesus? He tells you. Let God transform you into a new person. Here it comes by changing the way you think. You want to become more like Jesus? You need to change how you think. How do I do that, Dave? You got to read this book. You got to study this book. Some of us, it's good to memorize this book. Most importantly, you got to do this book, apply it. Does that make sense? Watch. If you are having unreasonable worry, it's not hard to figure out. It's the result of flawed thinking. And the result of flawed thinking for so many of us is we're not into this book enough. It's just that simple. Unreasonable worry comes from flawed thinking, and in some cases, flawed thinking is you don't have enough of this book. 
This is the main way that God changes and transforms how you and I think. Main way. Last thing we are to do. So not only do we control our thoughts, change our thoughts. Number three, choose your thoughts. Choose your thoughts. Philippians chapter 4, he says, make a decision to fix your thoughts on. So instead of focusing on the yellow penguin, focus on the purple elephant. Focus on the purple elephant. Focus on the purple elephant. And eventually you won't think about the yellow penguin anymore. You have to choose what you focus on. Fix your thoughts on what is true and what is honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. I want you to think about and make the choice to focus on things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. Everybody grab the piece of paper that you put your worries, your concerns, your anxieties on. Grab it. Everybody grab that piece of paper. What I need you to do, as best as you can, I'm going to give you 40 seconds. Make a paper airplane. Go. Make a paper airplane. I know I got a little table here, so it's much easier for me. But you wrote your pace. See, now those of you who thought you were too cool to write this down before, now you got let left out. Everybody's having fun making a paper airplane. Go ahead. Everybody grab your piece of paper. Make your paper airplane. I'm going to give you a couple more seconds. Oh, mine's going to be good. I can feel it. I know. You're wondering if we're in junior high youth group. Just stay with me. Okay. Make your paper airplane of your anxieties and your worries. Okay. This is the best I could come up with for the moment. Okay. Here's my paper airplane. You keep making your paper airplane and let me put something on the screen for you. I was reading Max Lucado. He's an author and he says this. You need to remember that you occupy the control tower of your mental airport. So let's just pretend this is a thought. This is something that wants to land at Oakland International Airport and take residence in your life, okay? What you need to understand is that planes don't just land at any airport without permission. They have to get permission from the control tower to land. And what you need to understand is that when thoughts are flying around and they want to land, you're in the control center. You can give them permission or not give them permission. You have to understand that. Now watch, okay? What do I do when a thought is going around my brain? Here's what you do. Three steps. Let's put it on the screen. Number one, you ask questions. You ask questions. And you ask, is this thought that wants to land in my brain, is it from God or is it from the enemy? Sometimes it's really clear it's in this book, it's not in this book. But sometimes it's not. So you, now you have to start asking the next question. Is it true or is it false? Is it positive or is it negative? Is it righteous or is it unrighteous? Is it pure or is it impure? Remember we talked about taking it captive? That's what I'm doing. You're asking it questions. And as it's flying around, you ask, you know, I'm, I'm all worried and concerned about what so-and-so thinks about me. Well, is that rational for you to make that conclusion? Is it reasonable for you to make that conclusion? It's not just go to the verses. It's just go... Is that normal for me to do? And in some cases, no, it's not. So you have two options. If it's an unhealthy thought, you redirect the plane. No, you're not landing at Oakland. Off you go to L.A. Off you go to Seattle. You are not landing at my airport and influencing my life. You reject it and you redirect that thought. Don't allow it to influence you. If it is true, if it's good, if it's noble and it's pure, let it land. Does that make sense? And I just want you to remember the airplane. Now, we wrote down our worries, concern, and anxieties on this paper airplane. Everybody got this paper airplane? Let's pretend that what is, causes us anxiety and worry is based upon inaccurate, ungodly, untrue information. Are we allowed to let it land? No. What are you going to do when it wants it to land? You tell it to take a hike. You guys ready? Everybody, on the count of three, we're going to do this. Ready? Everybody, your goal is to get your plane up on stage. <laughs> now, let me just tell you, some of you, I just want you to know, you are going to throw your plane, and it's going to go like this, and it's going to land right on your lap. If that happens to you, quickly go to the prayer room. You are in deep trouble. That's what God's <laughs> trying to... No. <laughs> ready? On the count of three, this is what we're going to do with impure, ungodly, untrue thoughts. You guys ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Here we go. Oh, this is exciting. This, do this doesn't happen in Baptist church. This is, high ex this is high level of teaching right there. Some of you have someone else's worries now. You're like, no. Get these. Guys, oh my goodness. What is this? Uh, 
People throwing stuff at me. Okay. Guys, you have an option. You're in the control tower. Take control of your mind. Don't let it influence you anymore. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've taught us today. Um, it was very helpful for some of us to understand that the concerns we have about our issue, our problem, our health, our finances, our kids, whatever it is, it's actually normal and it's legitimate. And you're okay with it. It's the kind of concern that Paul had for his buddy Epaphroditus that was sick and almost died. Father, if we're leaning into you, if we're relying on prayer, if we're sharing in others, just remind us that you made us with emotions. Sometimes those emotion, emotions go up and they're joyful and other times they're hard and difficult, stressful, and they produce some concern. But Father, some of us were also reminded that how we worry and what we think about life is completely out of bounds in your eyes. If you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now, what I need you to do is I need you to confess your worry for what it is. It's wrong and it's sinful. You are trying to solve problems on your own instead of leaning into your God. Father, help us change our priorities. Remind us that ultimately what's most important is your kingdom, not mine. Help us change our theology and what we think about you. You are ultimately a good God that is in control and knows what he's doing. And finally, while challenging, remind us to control our thoughts, to change our thoughts, to redirect our thoughts when necessary. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how incredibly practical it is. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.